Today is Palm Sunday. That means Friday is Good Friday, which means that next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Praise the Lord when our Lord Jesus Christ came out of the tomb triumphant over death. So really, in this great week, we remember the week of all weeks. 2,000 years ago, during a week just like this, our Lord Jesus Christ triumphantly entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. He took our place and he took our punishment on the old rugged cross. And then he trampled death and came triumphantly out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. A week of all weeks and a full one-third of the Gospels, the chapters in the Gospels, one-third of them record some of the events that took place in that week of all weeks. Let me read to you just a few things from Mark's Gospel, the first 11 verses concerning the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Here's what we read, Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But soon some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went to Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's just a little of Mark's gospel and some of what happened concerning the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Today's sermon has two points, and the two points actually form the title of the sermon. The title is The Triumphal Entry and The Triumphal Exit triumphal entry we see here in Mark chapter 11. We need only read a little bit longer or further into Mark's gospel or any of the gospels and next Sunday on Easter Sunday we'll see the triumphal exit as Jesus Christ rises from the dead and comes out of the tomb. The triumphal entry and the triumphal exit. Let's focus on four details or truths that we can find in Mark chapter 11 concerning the triumphal entry. We'll start with the setting of the triumphal entry. That's in verse number 1. Here we see in verse number 1 that the Lord Jesus Christ is very near Jerusalem. He's in a region of the Mount of Olives. He's very near a couple of little towns called Bethany and Bethpage. 
Now, they may not be as familiar as another little town that also starts with the letter B that's equally very near to the city of Jerusalem. And that, of course, is the little town of Bethlehem where Jesus Christ was born those many, many years ago. Bethlehem is about five miles south of Jerusalem. These two towns are only about a mile from Jerusalem. So just consider this for a moment. We're about a week from the end of the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Palm Sunday that we're talking about. He was crucified on Good Friday. So this is about the last week of his earthly life. And since he's in the region of Bethany and Bethpage, he's only got about a mile left on that road. So the setting essentially is that Jesus Christ is on the last mile of his road and the last week of his life. Now, did he know or understand how close he was to the end? That this essentially is it when it comes to his earthly life. Yes, we only need to go over to John's Gospel, the 12th chapter. We'll see the exact same context as Mark chapter 11. And listen to what it says about how well aware our Lord Jesus Christ was concerning God's timetable for his crucifixion burial and resurrection here's what john chapter 12 says listen to verse number 23 jesus answered them saying the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified he he knew what day it was he knew what time it was he knew how close he was to the end he said the hour is here the time is here and in fact he goes on in verse 24 john chapter 12 he says i say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces more grain. He's giving us an illustration here of any seed that we would plant in the soil this spring. He's saying that just like those seeds go into the ground, his body was going to go into the ground and die into the dark, dead earth. But shortly thereafter, and we know three days thereafter, his body was going to burst forth in life from that cold, dark soil. And it was going to bring forth even more fruit. And the fruit, of course, that our Lord's talking about is all those who believe and trust and follow him, all his people, the great fruit of the Lord's resurrection. So we have here just a little bit about the setting, our Lord's understanding of the setting. And how do you think he felt as he came to the last mile on the road of his life or the last week Of his earthly life. It tells us in John 12, listen to what it says in verse number 27 Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Our Lord was troubled. Uh, There was a heaviness, a sorrow that was coming down upon him, and you can see the increasing sorrow. As you go into the end of the Gospels and look at the night before he was crucified when our Lord Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane as an example, crying out in agony, and then of course on Good Friday as he was suspended between heaven and earth on the cross, we get just a sense of the heaviness, the trouble, the sorrow and agony that he endured. 
And it can be incredibly comforting to anyone who's going through any trouble, whether they're near the end of their life or not, to know that our Lord at this moment was deeply troubled. And you might yourself feel when you're going through some trouble, say, I'm, I'm so thankful that the Lord understands. He's, he's been there and he knows what I'm going through. But as you look deeper into this passage... I can not only give you more comfort than simply understanding Jesus was troubled. God's Holy Spirit can actually take your trouble from you and give you tremendous peace as you go through any difficulties or storms of life. Consider with me the reason our Lord Jesus Christ was so troubled as he came into Jerusalem and offered himself on the cross. He was troubled because he was taking our trouble upon him. He was about to be crucified for our sins. Our sins were to be placed upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And more than just taking our sin, he's about to be separated from his father, He cried out on the cross in one of his seven statements, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Our Lord Jesus Christ was troubled because he's human and divine, and his divine nature is completely uh, in in contrast to all of these things, the, the sin of humanity and the separation of God. And it was bringing such sorrow and trouble down upon him. But it's our sorrow. He's taking our place. And then listen to what he says to his disciples. In John chapter 14, just very shortly after his triumphal entry, in the upper room, he says in John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You see how beautiful this is? Our Lord Jesus Christ was troubled because he was taking our trouble. And he took our trouble so that we no longer have to be troubled. We don't have to be troubled because the greatest things that would trouble us, separation from God and sin, have been taken out of the way by Christ. So when you're on the last road, the last mile of the road of your life, or... At any time between now and then, you don't have to be troubled because he was troubled. He took your place. That's a little of the setting of the triumphal entry. Now, let's go on back in Mark chapter 11, again in verse 1, but verses 1 and 2, we'll see a little bit about the sending of the triumphal entry. He sent two of his disciples into the little town in order to get a donkey where he could ride on into Jerusalem. These two disciples go and get a donkey in order to demonstrate a couple of very important lessons. Many people ask, why did he ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? It's significant for, number one, demonstrating he is the Messiah, the anointed of God, the chosen one, the Christ, The promised one from way back in the Old Testament who would come and crush the serpent's head and reverse the consequences of the fall of humanity. He's the one who was promised and all of his life demonstrates this great and wonderful truth. 
you'd say his, his virgin birth demonstrates that he's the Messiah. His uh, baptism in the River Jordan with John the Baptist demonstrates that he's the Messiah. Isaiah makes it very clear that the one in whom my soul delights, God says, that's my servant and the one upon whom I place my spirit, that's the coming one, the Messiah. And his miracles and his healings, all his good works certainly demonstrate that when he was in the synagogue reading the scriptures in Luke chapter 4. He makes it clear that uh, whenever you see the blind able to see and the lame able to walk you know that the messiah the anointed one has come and as all of those things demonstrate that he is the messiah so his coming into jerusalem on a donkey demonstrates exactly the same thing listen to what zechariah says in the old testament prophet zechariah the ninth chapter the ninth verse it's a fulfillment of that promise of the messiah here's what we read zechariah 9 verse 9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to demonstrate he's the Messiah. But greater than this, he demonstrates secondly what kind of Messiah he is. All of the events of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ not only demonstrate that he is Messiah, but it demonstrates what kind of ruler, what kind of king or prince or Messiah he is. His lowly birth, his life as a carpenter, his walking everywhere that he had to go, his pitiful death, and his riding in on a donkey. All of his life proclaim what we find here in Zechariah 9.9 and elsewhere. Lowliness, humility, meekness, a coming down to the least among us. His whole life demonstrates that our Lord was willing to come down to the level of babies and sinners, the poor, the sick, the weak, the helpless, and donkeys. It demonstrates to us the character of God, the nature of our Lord. There is no pride. There is no, uh, there is no uh, uh, being unwilling to help. He's willing to be patient with the least among us and save our souls and bless us and help us to overcome in all areas and even raise us from the dead and live with us forever. There's none of this passing on by. We all have troubles in our lives and you must have tremendous troubles. And at times you must wonder if anyone notices or even cares. Perhaps as we're going through all of the difficulties presently with the virus, COVID-19, you might see on the news or in other reports that this celebrity has COVID-19 or that famous person is quarantined at home and everybody notices and knows and, and even cares. And you might wonder, does anybody know what's happening in my life? Does anybody care what's happening to me in my little house at the end of the road? Yes, God cares. Jesus knows 
the very character of Christ displayed on the, in the triumphal entry is that he is willing to come down to the least and most humble among us and condescend down to our level no matter how poor or weak or miserable our life happens to be. So we've seen the setting that he rode into Jerusalem from just a mile away. He's on the last mile of his, of his earthly journey, the last week of his life. And he's troubled, but he's troubled because he's taking your trouble so you don't have to be troubled. And now we're looking at the sending of the disciples in to get this donkey, which declares he's the Messiah and demonstrates his lowly, humble character, willing to associate with the least among us. Now, quickly, let's think about the submission of the triumphal entry. And we see the Lord's submission to the written word of God as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, just as Zechariah had instructed. But we also see the submission here. For example, if you look in, uh, say, verses 4 to 6 of Mark chapter 11, you'll see the submission of the disciples who went to get the donkey and the owners of the donkey whom when the disciples come to collect and untie and take the donkey away, they say, hey, what are you doing? And it simply takes this line, the Lord has need of him. And they immediately submit to that word and obey the word of the Lord and say, listen, if the Lord needs him, here he is. And we have seen a tremendous example of this submissive spirit in Canadians over the past several weeks. Our prime minister has asked all of us to please distance ourselves from other people, wash our hands, and stay at home. And by and large, almost all business people, civic leaders, church members, and pastors have heartily and humbly submitted to this instruction and obeyed our prime minister. And, and that bodes very well for our country because that's the exact kind of attitude God respects and rewards. It says in James 4, verse 6, that God resists the proud, but he, he gives grace to the humble. And it's so nice. I am very pleased to see so many Canadians willing to submit to these instructions. And we ask only that we would all take this same spirit of submission and apply it in every other area of life. For example, the most important area and the greatest instruction of all, our Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And if only we would equally submit to this instruction and say, Lord, I love you. And we demonstrate our love for him by loving his son, the Lord Jesus, and accepting his son, the Lord Jesus, into our heart by faith. And then once we've accepted Christ into our heart, we live for him and follow him by for example, reading his word, the Bible, and studying the Bible, and praying, and gathering together with other Christians. And though that may be difficult at this present time, it won't be very long before Christians across the country are gathering to sing and listen to the reading and preaching of his word once again. And we ought to be there right in the midst of them in order that we might grow so we can serve the Lord and witness for him in our neighborhoods and in our circle of friends and family. We ought to be submissive, just like we see 
the Lord being submissive and the disciples being submissive and the owners of this donkey being submissive. The setting, the sending, and the submission of the triumphal entry. Now let's end with the Savior. That's the best part of all, isn't it? The Savior of the triumphal entry, the Lord Jesus. And we can see here, say, for example, in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, as our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark 11 gets on that donkey and rides into Jerusalem, the Savior of the triumphal entry. And we know why he was riding into Jerusalem. You only need to keep reading in Mark 11. See that he went into the temple first. And he went into the temple. He looked around. He was inspecting it. He's the general. He's the chief. He's the king and the prince coming to inspect his temple. And he surely wanted to find righteousness and a place of prayer. He found neither, which are demonstrated to us a little bit further in the Gospels, when he curses the fig tree as an example, that he went to find fruit and there was nothing there. There was a big show, there were leaves, but no fruit, no righteousness, no connection with the Heavenly Father through prayer. And we know that our Lord did more and came in to Jerusalem on that donkey for more. He came to destroy the evil one. He came to defeat death. He came to put aside our judgment by taking it upon himself and he did all of that brilliantly on good friday the triumphal entry has been taught by pastors for generations and it's so beautiful today to be reminded of the setting he's on the last mile of the road of his life he's in the last week of his life he's troubled but he's troubled because he's taking our trouble upon him so that we don't have to be troubled on any mile of our journey. That's the setting. Then we looked very quickly at the sending of those disciples into Jerusalem, into this town to get a donkey so he could ride into Jerusalem. And that donkey not only shows us he's Messiah because it was promised the Messiah would come on a donkey, but it demonstrates what kind of a ruler he'll be. And he's the kind who is a shepherd that doesn't pass by any of his sheep. If you need him, call out to him today. You'll find him not far from any one of us. And then we quickly talked as well about the submission and the Savior. And if you've never personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior... Why don't you consider praying the sinner's prayer today? The sinner's prayer doesn't save us, but the faith that is in our heart that's expressed in the sinner's prayer, that faith in the gospel message, the good news that Jesus Christ is God. He came to this earth as a man. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. The faith in that message, that's what saves. And you can express it in a little prayer. You could pray something like this. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but you could say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. And I believe you saved me by dying on the cross, being buried, and rising again the third day. I accept you as my own personal Savior right now and ask you to help me follow you and trust you until I see you one day. Do you know, if you'd pray a little prayer like that, God would save you in an instant by faith in the gospel message.
Well, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to talk about the triumphal entry today. Next time we gather together on Easter Sunday morning, I'll have a little to say about the triumphal exit as our Lord Jesus Christ arose alive forevermore. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. A triumphal exit out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. But just before I close, uh, just by way of three applications of this text, let me say that sometimes triumph does not look like triumph. And as you see in Mark chapter 11 and the other Gospels, our Lord Jesus Christ entering into Jerusalem, a Galilean on a donkey, you might say, how is this triumphant? And perhaps many that day didn't feel that it was very triumphant. Perhaps if they had have seen a Roman general on a, on a war horse with soldiers and prisoners, they would have said, now that's triumphant. But even though our Lord's entrance didn't look very triumphant, it was a triumphal entry. And in fact, it has brought about the greatest triumph of all. It may be like that in your life right now. You and your friends and others may look at what you're going through right now and say, that's not very triumphant. But you know, triumph doesn't always look like triumph. And sometimes what God takes us through and what he does inside of us where nobody can see is actually triumphant. The second application I wanted to make of this wonderful triumphal entry is that Our Lord had a triumphal entry, but nobody else seems to. And you might feel that your entry into this world was not very triumphant. And you might feel that what's happened since you've come into this world has not been very triumphant. And certainly we all came in as sinners. And I'm a sinner, and everybody else is a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in many ways, none of us have a triumphant entry. However, here's the last application. Even if you haven't had a triumphant entry, everyone can have a triumphant exit. Anyone can have a triumphant exit, and in fact, a triumphant eternity with the Lord God, so long as you believe in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. A triumphal entry and a triumphal exit, whether you're on the last mile of the road of your life or you've got a lot more to go I pray that you will trust and follow Jesus Christ and we'll all have a triumphal eternity in heaven with God in a moment I'm going to give the benediction and just before I do it's the week of Easter and I'm hoping that on Good Friday I'll be able to post something significant about the death of Christ that you may be interested in watching. And then if we get a nice clear day, I'm going to go out early in the morning and record an Easter sunrise service. Uh, That's sunrise with an S-O-N, not S-U-N, a sunrise service that perhaps you might be able to uh, enjoy. Thank you so much, and after the benediction, our church pianist, Mr. Giavino, will have a beautiful piece of music to close. Here's the benediction. It's taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.